Hi everyone, I'm joined today by the wonderful Victoria Vanstone who's on the Sunshine Coast. How are you Victoria? I'm great, thanks Chrissy, thanks for having me. And so we've met recently by accident and lots of things keep happening to me by accident, but the right people are stepping up into my life at the right time. So I count you as one of those. So thanks for taking time to chat with me today. Thank you. And uh, when um, we were kind of accidentally introduced to each other, um, I found out about your work, which is um, you're the author of a blog called Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy. And we're going to have a bit of a chat about that today because um, I think there's a lot of people in society who sometimes question their relationship with alcohol. I've certainly been through that process myself over the last few years, particularly as a woman in her 40s with young children. There is a propensity to want to have a drink in the afternoon to survive witching hour. And I'm kind of um, now in retrospect, since I've changed my relationship with alcohol, I've learned a lot more than I probably thought I ever needed to know. So, you know, I'm really keen to get some thoughts from you about this um, and to hear a bit about your journey as well. Great. So one of the questions I wanted to ask is, you know, you have become a successful blogger in a relatively short space of time and your website's really impressive, but you only started blogging in November 19, was that right? Yeah, so I started blogging when I realised that perhaps my story might resonate with people. Mm -hmm. The fact that I had done something that I never thought was possible, I thought that perhaps could be a message for other people to know that anything is possible. If this party girl can get sober, then pretty much anyone can. So I started writing. I've always enjoyed writing, but when I stopped drinking, my the kind of cogs in my brain started working again. They'd been pickled for many years and I started to be able to convey how I was feeling in my words. And yeah, so it, it was more of a therapy for me, the writing thing when it came around, but actually it's, it seems to be helping others as well, which is amazing. Yeah, it's really awesome. And you've got some groups as well, which we'll talk about, but you know, um, the question that I wanted to ask you first and foremost is, you know, how hard was it for you to acknowledge out loud that you may well be an alcoholic mummy, which is, you know, how you position some of your material? Well, after I had children, um, I'd, I'd never before having kids had any consequences to my drinking. I could stay in bed all day with a hangover, feeling sorry for myself, and I never had to get up and face anything. I mean, there were a lot of wake-up calls on the way. Many things happened which were risky behaviours that I laughed off in the pub the next day with a group of friends. I never took my drinking very seriously because it was a clever type of drinking that got absorbed into the crowd. It got sort of diluted by the people that I surrounded myself with. So no one would have ever pointed me out at a party and said, gosh, she's got a problem with alcohol because everybody around me, everybody knows what it's like. Everywhere you go, there's alcohol. So, you know, you can get away with things for a very long time. And I did suffer from very bad hangovers, but not worse than anybody else. But when I had my first child, I woke up one Sunday morning with a stonking headache and something else that had sort of manifested itself since having him. I'd, you know, the usual thing had happened. I'd gone from being a party girl to being a stay-at-home mum, and all of a sudden I was stuck at home changing nappies all day. And that led me to a 
to, for my drinking habits to change slightly. I was good mummy for weeks and weeks on end. And then this sort of need to, to release myself from the mundaneity of motherhood kind of build it, built up within me. And I felt the need to go out. And when I did go out, I went extra hard. But the next day, something more sinister crept into my, into my hangovers, which was this guilt and this shame that I perhaps wasn't being the best mum I could be when my child was screaming in the room beyond my hangover. So that was the first time I really thought to myself, gosh, maybe I need to do something about this. I started to question my alcohol intake. And I suppose that's, I didn't know it at the time, but I had become so curious. I was questioning why I kept doing something that wasn't doing me any good. Mm -hmm. So curiosity can be very powerful when you want to start changing things in your life, isn't it? Curiosity is really, it pretty much means that perhaps you do have a problem with something. Mm -hmm. If you're asking yourself, why, why am I doing this? And why can't I stop? I mean, from that point on, I tried to moderate for four years. I was struggling, like knowing that I was going to be hung over, but still going out and repeating the same patterns. I had great intentions, of course, like we all do. I'd say, right, I'm going to go for one, but one wasn't enough and two was too many. Mm -hmm. So therefore I always went over the top. I couldn't control my drinking. I worked out in the end. I always ended up with a terrible hangover, unable to look after my child. Mm -hmm. I then got pregnant again and I had a a nine-month window of sobriety again where I got to know myself and I liked myself and I was able to to socialise without having a drink. And again, I started to go, wow, this is lovely. Like I can be who I am and I'm not rolling around in a bush with my, you know, with a feather bow on, (laughs) slurring to taxi drivers. I was able to be myself and be confident without having down five pints of beer. So that was an interesting insight. It didn't stop me from drinking again, but I was definitely became more aware of my drinking habits after having kids. Mm, That's very true. And so I guess at that point, you realize that your relationship with alcohol was starting to become or had become unhealthy. For sure. I mean, I had that second baby and within six weeks of me, of her being born, exactly the same thing happened. I I had a four-year-old and a newborn. The stresses of motherhood worked their way up within me and I went out and got hugely drunk. Um, And that was one hangover too far. I remember getting up that morning and just saying to my husband, look, I can't do this anymore. I'm repeating the same, uh, the same habit, the same negative repercussions are happening every single time I drink. And I don't seem to be able to stop it, even though I'm desperately trying to. And I said, I think I need professional help. Mm-hmm. And how long ago was that? How old were you, if you don't mind me asking? I was, uh, I think I was just about to turn 40. Uh, yeah, so it's about three years ago now. So things changed dramatically for me then because I actually acknowledged the fact that perhaps I did have a problem with alcohol. It might not have been this far end extreme like you imagine alcoholism to be. And what I've discovered since being sober that there is a vast spectrum of alcoholism. And I did, I I kind of recognized the fact that I did sit on that line somewhere. I mean, I wasn't passed out with a bottle of Jack Daniels um, in a gutter but I was having negative repercussions from my drinking and I I, I acknowledged that and was able to seek help for it. And once I got the help, I could understand the reasons why I was drinking, which made me able to stop. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share some of those? Because I think people could, you know, maybe find um, points of um, comparison in that. There were so many things, to be honest. I mean, I, 
I blamed culture. I blamed environment. I blamed this never-ending feed of mummy wines and, and all these influences that were going on around me. I've also been a huge people pleaser throughout my life. So I was always the one trying to bring the party, trying to make the joke, trying to have the punchline. My thing was to try and make people happy. That had something to do with me being a bit bullied at school by my best friends kind of walked away from me. I had abandonment issues. I mean, we could go really deep, but that's what it all came down to. It was me wanting to make friends and then to keep them. And my fear of abandonment meant the only way I knew how to, to make people happy was to drink with them because that was my thing. That was my thing growing up was to be accepted, be the one that makes everybody happy with a party. And if I do that, then people will stay with me. And so it was a real people-pleasing thing that I had to learn to look outside of to be able to go, actually, I matter within this situation. I was putting all my happiness based on other people liking me. And actually what therapy taught me was that I had been risking myself for the sake of other people, risking, I was, you know, there was promiscuity, there was recreational drug use, all of these things were bad for me. And, I, and I'd forgotten that I mattered somewhere along the line. I'm not quite sure when, but it just led into lots of bad behaviors, which pep, pep, perpetuated more bad behavior, if you know what I mean. It just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse because I didn't have any real self-esteem, I guess. So yeah, that's what happens in therapy. You get to lay everything out on the table and pick out the things where you've been going wrong and then try and heal them. And that was huge for me. I could never have got better with, without that process. I'm really proud of you. That's awesome. And it's good to be able to almost admit those things out loud to people and not feel guilt and ashamed about it, isn't it? Um, you talk about culture, which was one of the first things. And I've found that an immensely interesting um, challenge as well because obviously I've grown up in Australia but I've lived 16 years in the UK so you know going from heavy drinking culture in Australia to heavy drinking culture in Britain which is also where you're from yeah. was that you know this was just accepted and par for the norm that you drink yourself under the table and still show up to work each day from a young age yeah I mean that is that is a huge influence I mean I grew up in a party family everybody was drinking around me I mean it was kind of my deluded destiny to be a massive drink binge drinker I did take it to another level whereas I think a lot of people in my family they can control it and it's more of a frivolous thing but but I couldn't I, I got to the point where I couldn't control it anymore even though if I wanted to and that wherein you know that's where the problem is but I think with the whole therapy thing and everything that went on, it wasn't until I really took responsibility for my drinking habit that I was able to quit. I realized that it was always my hand reaching out for a drink. It was always my hand, you know, waving at the barman with a, with a note. It was, it was me. It wasn't culture. It wasn't environment. It wasn't mummy memes. It was my responsibility in the end and I think really when you take responsibility for your own actions it makes it, it does simplify things a bit if, if I'm doing that then I am capable of spotting of stopping and I do sometimes think it does come down to a choice you can get all this therapy and everything which is which is going to be amazing and it can make you understand a lot of things but really it was my hand opening the fridge and reaching in for that cold bottle of Chardonnay. And when I realized that I could, I was able to bring my hand back to myself and move it towards the kettle to make a nice hot cup of tea instead. And it, and that was a real massive moment for me because I did actually do that exactly that. I went into the fridge, 
after a few sessions of therapy, my usual habit of having a nice wind down wine after the kids have gone to bed. And I remember physically, you know, moving my hand and mentally just going, you need to change. This is the problem is your hand going in this fridge and, and relying on this socially acceptable drug to function. Whereas in fact, all you need to do is aim towards the kettle. I mean, you can, you can simplify things like that sometimes. It isn't that simple, but little changes like that lead to big things. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And there's a, a quote in my book, I'm the only person responsible for me. And, you know, I talk about that with the people that, you know, I, I tr help as well. It's like, you know, until we decide to be fully responsible and, you know, you talk about being a people pleaser and drinking to the point of self-harm. Well, the only person you're hurting in that instance, people pleasing and self-harm is you. And therefore, if you decide to be responsible for that, you can make, start to make different choices, which is obviously what you've done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is up to you. Yeah. It, it, it feels sometimes that you, especially with the social, the social drinking world beyond, you know, beyond your front door, socializing when you are the only person that doesn't drink, it does take some getting used to. It's not all rainbows and unicorns out there when it comes to being a sober person. That is, again, another, a whole other journey in itself, which can be raw and, and quite overwhelming. But the funny thing is, is, you are the one that's going to be making a healthy choice for yourself. So the people that are around you may find your sobriety a little bit confronting. I think people definitely do find me a little bit confronting, but I find they're often also very intrigued by it because not many people go from being a massive binge drinker to then just stopping. And it is hard for friends to come to terms with you. Not, I'm not the same person that I was and I'm, I'm not going to be heading to the lock-in and the after party. I'm going to be going home and watching Netflix and having some chocolate. <laughs> so people's attitudes do change, but I do find people are intrigued as to, as to what they've done. And I do think people are proud of, of, changes that people make um and and as I said like I'm the one making a healthy choice for myself alcohol wasn't working for me and I think if it's not working for your listeners today I think and you're questioning it then perhaps also it's time to reach out for help and how was the support of your husband during those early days and your journey since then is he still drinking my husband I mean, you're either or, I think. He's someone that can have a beer. He just has one beer probably on a Saturday night. It's not, you know, for me, it was a full-time job thinking about alcohol. It was when, where, how full is my glass going to be? Who am I going to be with? Where are we going to end up? It was like a full-time job. So for him, it's not. He's somebody who can control his drinking. And luckily, I married somebody who, who could see that it was an issue for me, um, he was the one who had to try and talk me down from panic attacks when I was feeling that anxiety and shame after I had the kids. He was the one bringing me a glass of water and a packet of paracetamol. He could see it wasn't normal the way I was feeling. Um, and, you know, I married a man who, who just took my hand and stood beside me when I decided to take the path that I chose. Mm, good for you. So, um, you know, do you think then there's a difference between people who want to drink every day and people who need to drink every day? I think if you want or need to drink every day, I think perhaps there, perhaps it may be an issue. Yeah. I mean, if you feel that you need, need something or yeah. want it every day, I think, yeah, I think it's something that probably needs to be looked at. I never needed or wanted alcohol every day. It was never 
never that extreme. I think there's a difference between a physical dependency and perhaps a mental one. Yes. That is, that is, that could be something. Yes. Um, that's a difference perhaps between a binge drinker who might even binge drink once a month but can't stop once they start and then somebody who has a a physical need it's a it's a very different thing and that's why there is this huge spectrum of alcoholism because there there are lots and lots of different types of drinkers I mean I have people that come to my group sometimes who who are struggling with that one glass of wine a week that they're not happy with I get people who have never drunk that just want to experience a, a, a social event without drunk people around them there's all sorts of issues with alcohol you know with partners that drink and you don't and there's so many different issues and so many different types of alcoholic that it's hard to differentiate between people that want and need but I I do think that anybody questioning if you were to put it into one big basket of of what alcoholism is I think it is anybody questioning their relationship with alcohol and anybody having any sort of negative impact implications from their drinking Hmm. and then the feeling okay the feeling okay about not needing to yeah yeah and feeling proud of yourself for not needing to I had a really interesting conversation the other week with somebody who said what would it be like to not get to that point where you need to wind down I mean, that's a fascinating conversation like is was I doing something wrong in my parenting to the point where I needed to numb out my children. And that's, you know, the message that they're getting there that my children and and the same as the message that I gave them when I was in my bedroom, hungover, unable to parent was rejection and that I didn't love them enough to be there with them on that day. I'm sure they were young enough to not remember that that was going on. But really, when it came down to the nitty gritty, my children were are not feeling love from me when I'm hungover. And if you're winding down with wines every night to deal with them, I'm sure that's probably not a great message for them either. I mean, people feel that they deserve a drink, but I wonder what the feeling would be like to wind down with a with a cup of tea one night. I wonder if it would have the same effect. <laughs> a herbal tea and a meditation or something. Yeah, something that's good for you. Yeah, so that's interesting because off camera before we were talking about, you know, the health impacts of um, alcohol, which aren't talked about widely enough in my personal opinion. And, and what would you say about that? Well, I just think the the culture is that we all drink and it's all and it's all fun. Whereas, in fact, it is fun to a point uh, until you start having sadness or anxiety or you start feeling like you're supposed to drink or that you have to drink. I think something definitely needs to be said about being our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. That is one thing I'm definitely becoming. I don't have to put on this mask where I'm drunk and I have to be confident with a glass of wine. I can be all those things without that. And that's what I'm really finding is that I am exactly the same person, drunk and sober. I'm still can be the life and soul of the party. I still have fun. It's just that I might go home earlier and not slur and wake up feeling great. Uh, So I think people don't test the, they don't step onto the other side where the grass is actually greener. You don't need to have this toxic substance in your system to relax. It takes time and it takes a lot of learning this sober journey and it is it is confronting at times but what you do learn is that being your authentic self is much better than being that kind of 
lady with a rash in the pub <laughs> slurring over her next glass of of Merlot. I mean, that's what I was for many years and it wasn't a good look for me and I never gained anything from it. It yeah. was just me drunk. And now, now everything starts to work better. My mind, my body, I'm fitter, I'm healthier. And it's like a domino effect. Everything starts to get better. My relationships are better. My friendships are better. I don't wake up feeling like, oh my God, what have I said? What have I done? Mm. That's all gone. And it's like for me, giving up drinking is like a big ball of stress has been taken out from within my chest and dumped in the bin. Mm, that's awesome. You know, I like to share with people that, you know, when I changed my relationship with alcohol, you know, obviously my health has improved a lot, but there was a whole series of other things that I needed to change as well. Not just my relationship with alcohol, but, you know, my curiosity and awareness of the impact of alcohol it contributes to more than 200 known diseases you know so what do I want to put in a glass at the end of the day is kombucha yeah. <laughs> or herbal tea because you know I'm a woman of 45 with two small kids and I don't want to increase my risks uh, mm. even further of you know getting sick and one of those 200 diseases and I also think that we gloss over the reality yeah. of that far too much. I mean, it's funny because we we sort of we get sucked in by it and it's it's really toxic. I mean, it's something like 70 percent of domestic violence cases have alcohol involved. And it's I think it's 90 percent of all hospital administrations at the weekend are alcohol related. We don't look at that because it's too confronting because people are too scared to give up the one thing that they know. Alcohol is so ingrained into society that that it's almost like a love affair that's toxic, that we know is complicated, yet we can't fight our way out of because to imagine a life without alcohol is much too hard. I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago that I would never drink again, I would have laughed in your face because, you know, sober people to me were just party poopers, people who, who I didn't trust. I mean, I didn't want people, sober people seeing my behavior, which is another reason. I didn't want anyone remembering what I was doing. So I didn't want sober people anywhere near me. So I think it's this big thing of accepting, starting to accept that there are people that drink, there are people that don't drink and being more accepting of the ones that don't. Because I go out sometimes and they're like, what's wrong with you? Don't you miss it? And I get all these questions. And actually, I think those are the people that are giving me a bit of a hard time are the ones that really need to question themselves. Because all I'm doing is doing a good thing for myself. It doesn't work. I get anxious. I get shame. I get all of these horrible things. It yeah. doesn't work. It's it's simple. It yeah. doesn't work. And, and to give someone a hard time, which I did for many years and I regret, is that I... I gave, you know, I was, I was mean to people that didn't drink. And I think that is something that why I talk about this and why I admit to it is because I do think it needs to change. Um, there are things happening with these alcohol-free drinks being available in pubs. And, and so there are changes being made, but it is very slow. And, and what you say about this social awareness that we know it's bad, yet we do gloss it over. It's, it's a shame because we're kind of halting ourselves and we're not giving people the opportunity to look beyond that. It's true. And you talk about regret and shame and, and the guilt of not looking after your children when you were hungover. Have you forgiven yourself for that? Yeah, because that, that wasn't me. That's not who I am. That's why I'm very happy to talk about all of these things because that drunk version of me, that, that person lying in bed, that's like an insane version of me. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy party girl that was putting herself at risk 
on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. and that is just not who I am I'm a very different person to to that so I'm happy to discuss all my fuck up areas I like to call it openly because I I am a different person now I care about myself and I'm present and I'm available and I'm not better I'm still a shit mum sometimes I mean don't get me wrong sobriety is amazing but it doesn't make me a perfect mother I still scream I still pack the wrong snacks you know I'm 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 a rubbish mum sometimes but at least I'm there to bear witness to my failures Yes, and you can laugh about them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes I laugh, sometimes I do hide in my bedroom in shame. <laughs> well, you know, I tell people that the reason I founded Mindful Mums Queensland was not because I think that mums need to be perfect, it's because I think mums need to be okay with laughing about some of that stuff because, you know, it is very easy to stop the car behind a bin truck on the way to school and say, stop screaming, I'll put you in the rubbish truck. <laughs> yeah. I was actually laughing with my son this morning because I remembered the day he was like talking to me about daycare when he was little. I said, oh, his first day of daycare, instead of packing his lunchbox, I actually packed him a pound of cheese. And the, and the daycare called me up and was like, does your son really like cheese? I was like, yeah. She says, is that why you've packed him a whole massive block of cheese for his lunch? I was like, oh, sorry, I've taken the wrong thing out of the fridge. But then I did lock him in the car a couple of days later and had to get the fire fire engine to come and break him out. So that, I didn't go back to that daycare, actually, because I think they thought I was mad. <laughs> oh, well. See, that's the thing. You're, not, you're never perfect. It's just, it's just the same. But, yeah, at least I, I'm not drunk to, to have to deal with the, the repercussions of that. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me. So what would be your top tip to give someone who thinks that their relationship or dependency on alcohol has become unhealthy? I think the main thing is that we can't solve our own problems. If, you know, for me, I was making the same mistakes over and over again, repeating the same patterns. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't change. And when when you're questioning like that and you, you are going out with good intentions and then doing the same thing and again and again, I do definitely feel like it's probably time for you to reach out and to lay it all on the table and pick out your reasons why, like I did. I mean, that is, that's the only way you're going to get better. I think really a therapist or AA or any of those things, no matter what path you take, it's your journey and, and just taking a step in the right direction, taking that first step to, to call up a therapist and say, look, I, I'm questioning my relationship and I think I need some support. That is really the best advice I can give. Thank you. That's wonderful. And you started writing your book in March 2018, and we're hoping that it will be published later this year. What do you hope to do with that book? I just hope that it's a funny book. It's a comedy of errors, I suppose, of, of how my crazy life led to this this point and, and all of the things, all of the wake up calls I ignored. And I hope that would just resonate with people in a in a way that, that makes them think about their alcohol consumption and and hopefully mostly make people laugh. Okay, awesome. Well, good luck. Thank you so, so much for joining me. And I hope to see you again really soon. Thanks, Chrissy. Thank you.